Well, if you were here with us last Sunday, um, you would know that we started a series on prayer. We have no flashy title for this series. We are, we are simply titling it Prayer, okay? Um, now, I don't know about you and, and kind of what you know of us as a church, Hilltop Church, but just a brief little uh, background story, if I could. Uh, me and my wife some years ago didn't come into the city to plant a church. Actually, it was years after we actually planted a ministry called uh, the Justice House of Prayer. It was years after planting that ministry that the Lord started leading us to, to plant a church. Um, and so I guess in essence, what I'm trying to say, uh, without confusing some here this morning, is um, when me and my wife got the call to actually uh, start ministering here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that call was not to start a church, but a house of prayer. Now, that language, house of prayer, may be new to some of you today. And I hope to iron out some of the details of that in my sermon uh, without getting too much in the weeds, because it's not as complicated as I think it's been made to be. It's very simple. And actually, we're going to use Jesus to simplify this for us. Uh, a story that I have, and I know my wife, Bethany, who's not here today. Our little Ben woke up early with a head cold, snugglies, we call it, that's boogers, anyways. Uh, you know, snugglies, more appropriate, I think, uh, for a Sunday morning. But she's there nursing our little guy to health, and so pray for him. Um, he, he wasn't happy last night. We didn't sleep well. Anyways, um, but we're going to use Jesus uh, and, and, and the gospel of Matthew to kind of define, I hope, it's, it's going it's, it's really interesting because when I, when I get into kind of like describing what Jesus means about the house of prayer, because he's going to reference and use those words here in this text, it's so simple. But anyways, I don't want to get ahead of myself. If you have your Bibles, I'm sure it's going to be on the overhead, but turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, and we'll start reading in verses 12. This is the teaching text for today. Um, just quickly, if I could, um, if you're not familiar with kind of like the story that we're about ready to read, which is only about three verses, and the, and the events that led up to this event, um, how many are familiar with the triumphal entry, the, the point in the Gospels where Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding the back uh, of a donkey to the celebration of many? Uh, this seems to be what happens is uh, in, in, in Matthew's estimation or in his account of the story. Um, after that occasion, after Jesus came strolling through Jerusalem, the streets of Jerusalem, riding the back of a donkey, uh, receiving the high praises of those who were there that day, um, he seemed to immediately just go right to the temple. Now, I don't know how like close those two events were, but in, in Matthew's account, they seem to be uh, very close. Um, so we go from a celebration, and then and what we're about ready to read, if you're not familiar with the story, can kind of take you off guard a little bit because I don't think we normally see Jesus in this kind of light. It's almost like angry Jesus, but how many knew that Jesus lived a sinless life? He's not angry. He's filled with what the Bible calls righteous anger. Actually, the prophet Isaiah spoke of this moment years before Jesus even fulfilled this very text. And actually, Jesus cites the prophet Isaiah. And in the same chapter that Isaiah uh, speaks of Jesus's or the Messiah's righteous anger, 
He also speaks of this, that the zeal of the Lord would consume the Messiah. And so what we're seeing here is that transaction. We're seeing this prophecy fulfilled. The zeal of God has come upon Jesus for his house. And this is what we're going to read. Hopefully that was clear and thorough enough for you to kind of just latch on to where we are in the story of Matthew. He writes this, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. Now this is interesting because you know here in the West, we're trying to get as many people into this piece as we can. Like, come as you are. We want these seats full, but here Jesus is driving people away. This is what we read. He's, he's, he's driving people out of the temple. Not only that, that Matthew says that he starts overturning tables. Can you imagine the meek and kind, humble Jesus, right? Coming into this church today and just going off, just like starting driving people out. He gets me, throws me out, you know. He starts overturning tables and he's just taking chairs and throwing them. This is the picture. Now we need to really get a picture of this because some of us only see Jesus as meek and mild and kind. Jesus is also righteous and he's just and he is about ready to set some wrongs right. Let's read on. So he starts overturning tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. What a, what a terrible animal to sell, by the way. Uh, anyways, I'm not fond of pigeons. Uh, and then Jesus says to him, says to them, the, the, those who are witnessing what he's doing, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, that's what I want us to zero in on today as we talk about prayer. Let me start by just talking about an observation that I've made over the years, and I'll use my own house um, as the case study, but it's a, my opinion that every home kind of puts out its own unique vibe. Um, people who have visited our place over the years usually comment on how welcoming and warm and peaceful and clean and just, you know, they just feel at home and you can see it in their demeanor. They're kicking off their shoes, just laying on the couch. Like, okay, what's, you got some tea, Beth? All right, I'll take some tea, you know, but they, they, they often make these remarks when they come over to my house. Um, but man, if you come, um, over my place unannounced, you might experience something different. Amen. Anybody there with me? All right. You could unannounced come over my house and enter it. And, and not find comfort, but find chaos, all right? We have a little infant and a 13-year-old boy. Oh, my goodness, it can get chaotic in that piece. Um, it, it can feel stressful, uncomfortable, and yes, even though I am a neat freak, it can be messy and unwelcoming. I'm, I, I mean, if you come over my place unannounced, you are going to get the dirty eye from me, all right? You're going to get that vibe that, oh, Daryl doesn't want me here. But every home puts out this unique vibe. And there's some science behind this. And this is my point uh, of what I want to uh, just draw out into our attention today. Our homes say a lot, rather if you're renting, buying, whatever it is, if it's your dorm, whatever, our homes, excuse me, say a lot about who we are and what we value. Now, this is actually a thing. It's called the psychology of space. Let me read a piece from Sam Goslin, the professor of psychology at the University of Texas, who researched this. He writes in his piece, whether 
It's a family photo pinned to the fridge, an organizational system which has lapsed over time, or even a book which was at one time read every day, now pushed to the back of the shelf. But more importantly, not thrown away. Anybody have books like that, you know? Like, used to be like your, your favorite, but you're like, oh, I'm gonna keep that visible. You know, I'm not gonna, you know. Okay, a couple of you. All of these little details are reflections of our personality, of how we view ourselves, our families, and what perhaps has changed over the years. Essentially, what your home does is distill a very long history of behaviors and choices. Now, let me just narrow this down a little bit and, and, and connect it to what I believe Jesus is doing. In this article, um, Goslin, the author, writes about how our homes claim our identities. This is where it kind of like gets closer to home. Let me just read one little paragraph uh, from his findings. Uh, he says this, we use our homes to make purposeful excuse me, and deliberate statements about ourselves. I call these identity claims, and they are designed to reflect our attitudes, our goals, our values, our roles, and our priorities. You might be displaying some cultural iconography or, or photos of you and your spouse, certain books you want people to see. You will find these in public spaces, places where you're trying to essentially say to people visiting, this is who I am and this is what matters to me. Is there anybody here? I know for me in my house, that's exactly what we do. Uh, we will, we, we are intentionable, intentionable, intentional about displaying certain things that can be very visible that either highlight our faith, um, maybe a certain, you know, uh, theological thing, you know, about us or whatever, whatever we, we put these things in, in intentional spaces so that people know what we're all about. And I think in, 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 in part, this is what Jesus is doing here. He is um, claiming the identity, the true identity of his house. Yes, this is Jesus's house, right? This isn't, you know, the, those shepherds who have been given authority to watch over it, you know, and to kind of lead it and steward it. This is Jesus's house. It's not the house of the people who came there to sacrifice and worship. This is Jesus's home. This is his house. This is why he says, my house shall be called my house, my church, my uh, church of where my people are at shall be called a house of prayer. Now, if you would imagine with me, let's say I walked into your home today and I started to redecorate things. I didn't like uh, the color of your paint in your living room. And I was like, you know, this is a little too much for me. I'm going to dull that down. You know, I didn't like a certain sofa you had in your living room. It wasn't comfortable. You clearly just bought it for looks and not comfort. And I'm like, let's just get rid of that. Let's put a nice, comfortable sofa in there. You know, let's just say I started renovating your rooms differently. Let's say that I reconstructed your entire space to fit my likings and my preferences. Now, you wouldn't be happy. Of course not. Rightfully so. That's your home. And I think this is at the center of Jesus's frustration here in what Matthew is writing. And actually two other times, including this one. So three altogether, Jesus did this in other places as well. But this is at what's at the center of Jesus's um, frustration. The temple leaders, those who had been given authority, 
those who had been given the stewardship to lead and direct the house of God had let things come off the rails so much that when Jesus walked in, his house was unrecognizable. For example, the space in the temple that was normally reserved for Gentiles to worship in was now turned into a bird market, <laughs> right? The only area reserved for Gentile people to worship was turned into a marketplace where the buying and selling of birds could take place, right? And so out with the Gentiles, only space for them, gone. Thus Jesus' words, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, including the Gentiles, that they have seemed to driven out. And I imagine that there was some intentionality there. So the same people that were driving the Gentiles out of the only space that they could worship in, Jesus is now driving them out of his house. Isn't that amazing? Secondly, the temple was inflating their currency as well, right? The only currency that you could actually buy a pigeon with to sacrifice um, was with temple shekels, all right? And unfortunately, those who came uh, to the temple to worship, they had coins with Caesar's face on it. And so they had to exchange uh, their currency with, for these temple uh, shekels and, and, and inflation on these particular shekels was so high. But the, the thing about it, they were even doing this to the poor. Even the poor were being caught up in this craziness. And this is why Jesus is infuriated. He, he says, uh, you've turned my house, my place into a den of thieves. And so Jesus essentially is setting some wrongs to right. He, he goes in to reclaim and reestablish the true identity of his house. Now, here's how we're going to, for our church, define house of prayer. It simply means this. It, really, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to be so taken when I say it. It's a place for prayer. Essentially, that is what Jesus is saying. My house shall be a place for prayer for all people. Amen. Glory to God. I don't, I don't think Jesus is trying to reference some throwback, you know, where, oh, back in the day of King David, man, they established this thing, you know, where there was, you know, unending prayer and worship. I mean, maybe it was, but in my findings, that's not what I see. Jesus is just simply saying, Man, my place, my house shall be a place where people, my people of every color and nationality are praying. Now I've always, and we're gonna transition a bit here, but and take a kind of awkward turn. And I'm sorry if you're, you're bored by this, but we'll just give some context here. I think context is necessary. So don't check out on me quite yet because I imagine there are tons of people here that need to reprioritize prayer in their lives. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's getting his church back on the right track. They've strayed, they've gone the wrong way. And I believe in some kind of prophetic sense that the spirit of the Lord is doing and wanting to do the same for the church today. I've got a couple of you who agree with that. Statistically, guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we shared this last week. The church is, well, prayerless. We, we, there's, just so, there's just a small percentage of God's body globally praying 
And I just think that the Lord wants us to take a turn. He wants us to self-correct and get back to what matters to him the most. Of course, we see what matters to Jesus the most. I mean, he could have said anything there. And I, I say this a lot, but I believe it with all my heart. Jesus could have said, my house shall be called, oh, a house of healing. Or, or, or my house shall be called a house of, of prophecy, where, where prophecy is rich and full. You know, Or my house shall be a house, oh, you just fill in the blanks with whatever you want to. But Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Thus, I believe that underscores the significance of prayer and the role that it should be playing in our lives. Now, take Jesus as an example, right? I'm fascinated by how Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, prioritized prayer. And we're not just talking about, like, in his earthly ministry. You have to understand, friend, that the author of Romans says that Jesus intercedes for us even now in his heavenly ministry. So not only does Jesus make it a priority to pray, you know, while he's here on the earth, his earthly, his heavenly, excuse me, occupation is the same. He's interceding for you and I. I find that awesome. Just a couple examples of where Jesus prayed. And these are a short list. I mean, I think the gospel authors, there has to be at least 20, maybe 25 to 30 times where they point out that Jesus withdrew from the crowd. Jesus went to a, a, a quiet place. Jesus took his disciples and, and prayed with them. There's just all these, and there, you know, sometimes you can read them just like, well, what was that? What is that? What? Like, why? Why was that placed in there? But, but the, the gospel authors are so intentional. They're using, I don't think it's only for this reason, but they're using Jesus's prayer life as an example to us so that we can read and be like, Okay, like this is the rhythm of prayer in Jesus' life. Maybe I should mimic it. Maybe I should copy it. In Luke 4, 1 through 2 and 14 through 15, after being baptized, right? If you're familiar with the story, the Bible says that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness praying. When's the last time you've set apart 40 days to prioritize prayer? Well, this is what went on in Jesus' life. Luke 6, 12 through 13. It says early in, in, in his ministry, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer. This was right before choosing the 12 disciples. In Luke 21, 39 through 44, hours before Jesus was arrested, he spent time with his disciples and even distanced himself from his disciples at one point and prayed. And then in Luke 5, 16, as was usual, Jesus always seemed to be spending time alone in prayer. Jesus prioritized prayer. And, and I think he gives us an example. And I'm thinking, if Jesus prioritized prayer, how much more should we? How much more should we? And I imagine, you know, in hearing me say that, you're, you're probably saying, of course, yes, absolutely, duh. But how many know it's easier said than done? I, I, I personally sometimes get bored with prayer. 
Am I the only one? Sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to the walls and the air around me. You know, just like, is this stuff really working? Am I alone in that? I mean, but let's be honest. To actually prioritize prayer is not an easy task. It's not an easy task. You think about the disciples, man, and the hour of Jesus's greatest need. He just asked, hey, dudes, man, I've been with you for a long time. It's coming down. It's coming down to the wire here. I'm about ready to give my life. Can you just pray for me and with me for a little bit? And they can't even in the hour. I mean, I'm thinking, what would be my response? You know, would I be as daft out and as bored with prayer as these disciples were? But honestly, it takes a lot. Prayer is not easy. It's not easy. And I think one thing that stands in the way, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, but I hope this is sticking. I hope this is sticking because, you know, I, I just, I haven't built Hilltop Church. I mean, I haven't built it, but I haven't I wanted to pastor a place that's just like a good little social club and country club where I'll just get to, you know, just enjoy, you know, the fellowship and all these, you know, great things. Man, I, I, I want us to be a church who is intentionally prioritizing prayer. But I think one thing that stands in the way of us prioritizing prayer is the way in which we use our approach prayer. Let me explain that a little bit. I, I don't know about you, but I seem to use prayer as kind of like a last resort type of thing. I'm going to throw everything at maybe the problems in my life or whatever I'm facing. I'm going to do whatever I can in my own human strength to kind of correct that moment, you know, reconcile that relationship, you know. And once I come to figuring out that nothing works, man, then I'll pray. Anybody here like that? It's just like, well, I mean, I haven't tried praying yet. I might as well do that. I think that's something that's common amongst the brethren. Oswald Chambers says this, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Come on. Is that not the truth? It's a different way of thinking about prayer. At least it is for me. It's, it's kind of rethinking how I utilize this great gift called prayer that Jesus has given us. And I think we need to recapture the spirit of prayer where it's more of a necessity that we pray rather than just some kind of religious obligation, right? Uh, I, I think prayer is indispensable and is an essential uh, aspect and part of the life of every believer, not just some who maybe pray just in your mind a little bit better than you or sound like it anyways. Martin Luther said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I mean, we got so many Christians trying to do this, this, this Christian walk uh, apart from prayer. And can I, just, can I just lovingly submit for you to meet to you this? It can't be done. It can't be done. And even Jesus realized this. Even Jesus realized that apart from this gift called prayer, I will not be able to sustain uh, this, this cross that my father has uh, asked me to bear. There is no way 
Jesus needed this to sustain and bring him through some of the most challenging moments that honestly none of us could stand under. Maybe if we adopted the prayer life that he had, maybe. But my question in closing to you all is, what what stands in the way of you prioritizing prayer today? If you were to be honest with you, do you have misconceptions of how prayer works much like I did? Do you only pray when you have exhausted the limits of your own strength? Or do you, do you see prayer as a last resort? You, you, when nothing else works, then you'll do it? What stands in the way? And I, I, I'm not trying to be combative. I'm not trying to you know, shame anybody. Hey, listen, I am in the same boat. I have for years walked with God. And all of those years, I have struggled to remain faithful in the place of prayer. And I think as we move along and we last week talked about dealing with our own kind of shortcomings and wrong ideas about prayer and, you know, if we wrestle with doubt and so on, hopefully you were here for that service. We also need to deal with the fact of why we don't prioritize prayer. Why don't we? Man, man, some of the breakthrough, can I just lovingly submit to you that some of the breakthrough that some of you need in this place really is not a matter of you going to see another therapist. It's not a matter of you to go see another Christian counselor. You can bat your eyes at me, but man, I'm telling you, why don't you try bringing your brokenness to God in prayer? Why don't you try bringing uh, that, that brokenness to the Lord and, and asking him to help and to deliver and to set you free? This is what I believe. I believe that Jesus is even now overturning the tables in our heart, the the places that contend and and seek to dominate and the places where we prioritize maybe our social lives, maybe, you know, our families, maybe uh, our jobs, our friendships over the place of prayer. I believe God is kindly coming into our hearts and overturning those things that are more of a priority than prayer. Friends, what stands in the way? What stands in the way? Father, Lord, we know, we know, God, in our hearts, just just even by reading what Jesus said here in the Gospel of Matthew, as you're looking for a praying church. And God, we know that there's many things that stand in the way. And God, today, this morning, we're asking, Lord, for you to come and to remove those things, Lord, to remove the things that, that we prioritize, Lord, that stand in the way of us really fellowshipping and communing with you. Father, I pray, Lord, rather it be shame, God, rather it be sin or uncertainty, God, rather it be doubt, God, or, or just even the feeling of like, is this really working? It, it, it feels like, you know, my prayers are just, they're not going any higher than the ceiling. Father, I pray, God, that you would lovingly come. You would lovingly come to our hearts and deal with those things that stand in the way of us being that house of prayer 
that house of prayer for all people. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could get Asaph up here, we'll, we'll close this down. And, you know, I want to just draw our, our attention again, if you could put the announcement on the screen, uh, to our prayer training that we're doing. Man, listen, we don't just need to like hear this message and kind of be like, oh, what am I going to do? We, we have a way to be intentional and kind of live this thing out and encourage one another in this um, day in and day out. And man, if you have not, if you've been coming here for a long time and you haven't thrown in and kind of got involved and, and, and been a part of our um, house of prayer, I want to encourage you to, especially if you struggle with prayer, man, you just, it's like, it's something that it's not really like all that fun to do, man. You're surrounded by others who probably share the same struggle, but that can champion and encourage you on uh, the, the battle. And so, um, you know, if, if, if you're somebody who may already have, man, a heart, you know, like you're just like, I love to pray. There's nothing more I like to do with my time. I want to just... Uh, turn your attention to this training. If you're a musician, man, don't just look to serve here on Sundays. Man, this is just a little part of a much bigger picture. Man, maybe you, you throw in with us and, and, and offer your gift in the house of the Lord. Man, it's not that flashy. Listen, prayer, I'll just be right up with you. It's not that popular. You may sometimes play uh, in front of one person. But man, I think not to sound cheesy, you're, you're playing before the only person who matters. And so maybe, you know, as we go further into the weeks and, and talk more about prayer, Man, I'm praying that your heart would be so provoked, so inspired to be part of the bigger picture here at our church. With that being said, man, sign up for this training and um, be a part. We're gonna close things down. Again, the info center is open. If you're new here, we haven't scared you that much. You wanna go over there if you wanna find out some more information regarding our church. We're having a bake sale uh, for our youth. We're sending them off to Utica, New York to a youth conference and we're trying to raise funny funds. It's um, an expensive uh, endeavor uh, but we're believing God and we have some nice treats uh, over there for sale. Man, if God places it in your heart to help our young people um, get there and, and pay that cost so that parents you know, maybe can be relieved some of it then um, please take advantage of that good food over there. Other than that, guys, um, we love you. Be blessed. Hey, listen, as always, uh, the altar is open. If you need prayer for anything related to the sermon, unrelated to the sermon, this space is open. There'll be some guys and gals here ready to pray for you. Um, other than that, church, have a great Sunday and a great week. And uh, hey, listen, don't be a stranger. Um, come back, you know, next Sunday to do this all over again. Be in the presence of God with one another.